fans, and welcome in. It's episode 51 of the Canuck Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, how's things going, man? How's the smoke on your end of town? Yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty gloomy. Uh, there's been a couple of days where it makes the sun look pretty incredible. You know, you get this like really bright orange red sun. Uh, it's not as bad over where I am, uh, than downtown. Uh, when I was, uh, downtown last week working, I, it was a lot worse than it is, uh, out here on main street and Olympic village. Uh, what about you, Pete? Uh, it's, it's smoky, man. It's smoky. I, I keep seeing Kitsilano come and go. I haven't ran in over a week and a half, which, uh, for a guy who runs pretty regularly, that's, uh, that's killing me a little bit. I, w- I went for a walk in Stanley Park yesterday, and even that kind of left me a little winded just because I, I need to get out. But, you know, yeah, I know what you mean about the sun, though. It kind of reminds me of like a Tycho album cover or something with that just big red circle uh, up in the sky. But, you know, it's just uh, between that and the moths and everything else, it's uh, just, you know, par for the course for 2020, isn't it? Yeah, the moths, dude. Like, I, it was funny. I was like saying to my fiance, Grace, I'm like, what the hell is going on with all these moths? And then literally like the next day I saw something come up. I think it was like Vancouver is awesome. And I, I, I believe the Daily Hive also reported on it. Oh, if you've noticed a, a plethora of moths around, well, this is the reason why. But yeah, it's like the mothopolix or the mothpocalypse. It's crazy, man. It's uh, it's just like, uh, well, like I said, par for the course, man. It's, uh, it's a weird year. 2020 keeps the hits rolling. And uh, of course, when I open the curtains in the morning, three moths are going to fly out and another four are going to be on the window. But what can you do? So, Doug, what are we going to do this episode? I know we talked last episode about the Canucks and uh, what their future is kind of looking like for next season. Uh, we're going to touch on that a little bit more and just kind of get some thoughts on roster construction and general thoughts, eh? Yeah, you know, obviously there's uh, some trade rumors swirling around the Canucks, and I think most teams right now, it's that time of year uh, where trade rumors really ramp up. And with the quick turnaround with the Stanley Cup Finals finishing, and then what is it, like a week and a week and a half later, if that, there's going to be the draft, and then like a couple of days after the draft, it's free agency. So there'll definitely be a lot of uh, topics to talk about in the coming weeks here. But, uh, you know, today I think we're just going to kind of leave it free, free flowing and uh, kind of speculate on some possibilities that the Canucks could uh, do moving into next year. What do you think of the Stanley Cup Finals before we get into the Canucks? It's Dallas and Tampa Bay. Uh, it's, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of a surprise, but not that surprising uh, overall, I guess. It's, it's, a, it's a relatively interesting final on my end. What do you think about it? Yeah, Dallas to me is a surprise. Uh, I, I mean, I remember you and I were talking about uh, when the Canucks made it past the play-in round against Minnesota, we were wanting to play Dallas. We didn't want to play the Blues. Uh, and now here, Dallas is in the final, uh, taking on the Lightning, who I'm not that surprised have made it this far. Uh, I'm a little surprised that they've been as great and looked as powerful as they have been on the power play without a guy like Steven Stamkos. But Dallas, to me, is a shocker. The Lightning have certainly been resilient. And one thing that's interesting is that the two teams that are in the final, it's almost entirely teams that have built through the draft as well. You look at uh, all the star players and well, pretty much all the star players, but these teams were built through the draft. And I find that really interesting as well when you look at almost their entire team and how they, they came up from the AHL. And it's it's something like four out of every five players in this series are products of 
their own team. So I think that's interesting. Uh, the Victoria connection with uh, Jamie Ben and to the Canucks as well with his brother uh, makes it makes it a little bit more likely that I'll cheer for Dallas in this. But honestly, overall, I'm pretty neutral. It's nice to see Tampa bounce back after what happened to them last year. It's good for that organization. The Steven Stamkos thing, though, you're right. That's uh, that's a real kind of puzzling instance in a lot of ways is that the team is almost doing better without Stamkos. Yeah, I mean, almost like a basketball analogy here, but it reminds me when Kyrie Irvin was playing for the Boston Celtics and they did better in their playoff run without Kyrie as opposed to the following year when they had Kyrie and I believe they got out ousted in the first round. Uh, the other guy, and again, yeah, I'm indifferent on who wins the cup, but the other guy I'm definitely going to be cheering for in this series is Rick Bonus, former uh, mm-hmm. Canucks assistant coach. I uh, also spent some time in Tampa Bay as an assistant coach as well. Uh, I really like Rick Bonus. He's a really good dude. I believe he's actually just still on an interim basis as the coach in Dallas. He hasn't actually been designated the head coach. Uh, I'll be definitely be cheering for him in this Stanley Cup final. The Rick Bonus thing reminds me a lot of 2001 with another RB, which is uh, Ray Bork, and just kind of uh, the fact that he'd been around forever and everyone's cheering for the guy, a very likable guy. And Rick Bonus is very much in that. And I, I agree. I would like to see Bonus raise the cup so i guess i guess i'm i'm kind of cheering for for the stars in this but i'm i'm again i'm i'm like you i'm mostly indifferent if if tampa wins uh, hey tampa wins but it was interesting to me watching how dallas took care of vegas vegas just really seemed to run out of steam and you heard a few of their players say that thatcher demko got in their head a bit at the end of the second round and it carried over into the third round as well they just couldn't score yeah, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I know Dallas is a pretty good defensive team, but I was pretty shocked how uh, Vegas's offense completely dried up. Uh, you know, they definitely have some guys, some skilled guys on that team. I wouldn't say they have a superstar. I know a lot of people are, you know, theorizing that, you know, Shea Theodore could be a Norris Trophy candidate for the next five, six years, and he could be an emerging superstar. But I wouldn't say they have a superstar up front. Pacioretty is a good player, although I find him grossly overrated. Uh, I really like Mark Stone. I think he's good. We had that uh, year from William Carlson, which was probably an anomaly where he scored, uh, I think it was 40 goals. So they do have guys that can put the puck in the net. I was, just, Yeah, I was really surprised uh, how Dallas kind of shut them down offensively, and uh, they didn't really generate many scoring chances whatsoever and then the islanders on the other side just all the trouble they gave tampa bay for another uh, team that as well as kind of without stars in, in the islanders and i've always cheered for the islanders in the east coast with my mom being from long island and it was nice to see they had this just rolling hustle and they're a team again superstarless besides matt barzell and i don't care what anyone says i don't think he's going to seattle in any way or form uh via trade uh, he's he's the lifeline of that Islanders team, but it was it was really fun watching them and how they pushed the Lightning as hard as they did, and uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting final to watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it'll be entertaining. Uh, I look forward to it. Um, yeah, I'm indifferent who wins, but I do think it should be a very entertaining final. Um, you can find us on the Twitter machine. The podcast is at Canuck Speak. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Give me a follow at Doug Venn. And as always, we're building this ever-growing outro playlist. So for the outro segment of every episode, we have a track playing in the background. And we've added that to a playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Give it a follow on Spotify. 
So not much news in Canucks land right now. Lots of musings and armchair GMs out there, ourselves included, and that's what we're going to do today. But the one big news, and I got to admit, this one hurts me. Uh, Manny Malhotra leaving the team to go take a, a bench job in Toronto. Um, I, I've always been a huge Malhotra fan. Uh, I was at the game back in 2011 where he made his comeback, uh, hit the ice, uh, just an all-around good guy. And, I mean, you look at the Canucks and their prowess in the face-off circle, especially in this postseason, it, I, I give a large part of that credit to Manny Malhotra. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a big loss for the Canucks. Um, but he had an opportunity, and he, the Canucks, to their credit, let him follow, pursue that opportunity with the Leafs. So, you know, I think that should be noted as well. And all the best for Manny moving forward. I think he has the potential to be a hell of a coach if that is what he desires to be, which I'm guessing he does. And you know what? I As much as I hate the Leafs, good for them. They're getting a very quality guy to help their team. And I, yeah, it, it sucks losing him. But you know what? We wish him all the best. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, it was a, a class move by the Canucks to let him explore other options. And uh, I do believe as well, this is a guy who's just going to continuously climb the ranks like he's done in the eight years or so since he took his game off the ice after the eye injury. Um, but I, I do think it hurts the team. You know, uh, it, it's also something, though, to put in perspective is that the Canucks have people in their organization that other organizations want. And, you know, Judd Brackett, uh, was one of them, of course, uh, Manny Malhotra. You got to think that Ian Clark is a guy as well that other organizations will look at when he becomes available down the line. So it does tell you something as well about internally that what the Canucks are doing with their foundational pieces. It's just, can they keep those pieces coming and do they have a system in place to replenish that depth? Yeah, I also think the Lawrence Gilman connection in Toronto probably also helped facilitate this uh, Manny Malhotra move to become one of the bench coaches in Toronto. Um, obviously Gilman was part of the Gillis regime. That's, I believe they signed Melholtra as a free agent. Wasn't it? It was a signing, right? They didn't trade for him. Uh, and obviously they were dealing with Melholtra during the whole eye injury thing and whatnot. So yeah, it, it, it does really hurt the Canucks. I think, uh, I would have loved to see Manny work with a young center like Adam Gaudet next year and try to elevate his game. Uh, that being said though, you know what? Sports and the NHL, it's a business and guys move around, whether they're players, whether they're coaches, whether they're executives, and you got to roll with the punches and move on. And, you know, I'm sure the Canucks will hopefully be able to fill the void with somebody else. And also, yes, I really hope they're able to lock up Ian Clark long term because he's another guy who, given his track record with the goaltenders, he's a guy I want the Canucks to lock up long term. And Travis Green also only one year left on his deal. I th- I do expect that he'll get re-signed by the Canucks. I, I think I think that will happen. Um, and also in the back office, Jim Benning was voted number six best GM in the league this year. Now I know he's a divisive figure. Sorry, in Canucks land with uh, what he's done, and I also don't know how you weigh the merit of a GM of the year. Like, is it, is it based on his previous 365 days, the previous season? Is it his tenure with the team? Uh, I'm not exactly sure how they weigh into that, but I thought that was interesting as well. Coming in, he got three first place votes, finished sixth in voting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we'd ever talk about like who was sixth in the heart trophy or who finished sixth in the Vesna Trophy. But I do think it became a bit of a news story in Vancouver because Benning is such a divisive character and a divisive uh, personality in the in the market. 
I mean, yeah, I, I think a lot of it ends up just how much that team improved from last year to this year and what the team's expectations heading into the year were and where they finished. And definitely, I think the Canucks exceeded most pundits' expectations heading into this year. Uh yeah, I, I've said it before and I said it again. You know, a lot of people like to dunk all over Benning, and maybe he's not the most candid person in front of a microphone or in front of a camera, but I do think he has made some smart moves. I think he doesn't get enough credit for some of the moves he has done. And yes, he definitely deserves a lot of criticism for some of the poor contracts he signed. But you, you can't say that everything he's done since he's been the GM of the Canucks has been terrible. Uh, he's still the guy during his tenure that drafted Petey, drafted Hughes. And there's a narrative that I've heard people kind of spin out now saying, oh, well, it was obvious you would take Hughes. 100% agree. To me, it was obvious Hughes was the pick. It wasn't obvious that Petey was the pick. Most people had Petey penciled in between the 9 to 12 spot. And a lot of people in this market and a lot of fans on Twitter were outraged that the Canucks took Petey over a guy like um, Cody Glass. Uh wasn't... Was it the same year as uh, Gabriel Velarde was also in that draft, or no? Maybe that wasn't that year. No, that was that was a different draft, but it was okay. right around the same position in the draft, uh, I believe, was when they took Velarde. Yeah, um, but, but I, yeah. I, I I don't think Petey was a was a home run at five at that time. I think he was a guy that was cro- climbing up a lot of people's draft boards. But the consensus on Petey, I thought, was the nine to twelve range, personally. So yeah, Benning. Is it a feather in his cap to be voted six overall for GM of the year? I don't really think so, considering we would never talk about that for a guy who finished six in Vesna voting or Hart voting. But given all the hoopla around Benning and how his name is such a... Polarizing? Polarizing, yeah. You know, you mentioned his name and you have all these people jumping out of a window to defend him, to to, to slander him. You know, I, I get why it became a topic. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, uh, I I totally get what you're saying. At the end of the day, he is the guy who drafted Hughes and Pedersen. He's also the guy who signed Erickson and and the initial Goodbranson trade. But every GM has a track record for good and bad. Um, and I, I the narrative that bothers me is that when he makes a good draft pick, people say, "Oh, that was Judd Brackett." Or and then when he makes a bad draft pick, they're like, "Oh, Benning making just such crappy picks." And then the same goes for the trades too. It's always like. People just like every move that was good, if you're on Benning's side, it's like, well, yeah, look at what he's done. But all those other moves, those weren't him. Those were those were influenced by ownership. And the people who are against Benning are like, oh, that was all the scouts. And now all the scouts are gone. And Benning's not going to do anything. We don't have a pick until the third round. And that's the narrative that kind of bothers me is that, look, if you're going to throw shade on the guy, it should also be some credit because at the end of the day, he does have the final voice. And you're right about Pedersen. I, I was part of the, the Cody glass camp in that draft. And I was like, well, what, what? like they, they reached for a skinny Swedish guy. Like, oh man, I, I don't know about this and prove me wrong. He did. And he's now my favorite Canuck. But uh, I do think that it, with all the, the praise and the criticism, it's not, it doesn't have to be a black or white thing, right? It's somewhere in the middle. I think most Canucks fans realize there are some very good moves and some very questionable moves. I do feel like in the last couple of years, now that maybe he's blown his load on a bunch of bad professional free agent signings, I do feel like he's been better in the last year or two. I also think given the flat cap for the next, uh, was it three or four years, teams are going to, it's almost actually helping teams in a way that they're protecting themselves from themselves that he won't be able to go and spend 
money aimlessly or carelessly like he has in the past. Uh, I agree with you, though. Like, I do hate that if it was a bad pick, it was all Benning, and if it was a good pick, it was all the scouts. Uh, Just one little quick note, sort of off topic, but touching on, you brought up Petey and, you know, how he's your favorite player. One thing I saw reported, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, which I found really interesting, Petey's actually staying in Vancouver over the summer. He's not going back to Sweden. So he's going to stay in Vancouver and train in Vancouver, which I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's a really good sign of a guy that, you know, really wants to take his game to the next level, if that's even possible, heading into next year. And he's just going to stay here, I'm guessing, focus training and be prepared uh, for next year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I like how you just instinctively said summer because, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just it's just it's uh, just it's just our hockey minds thinking there. Um, it's a short off season, So I think it does make sense. And especially with quarantine rules and, and whatnot, I'm sure teams have suggested to a lot of their European players that, hey, if you can, it's better to stay on the continent. Um, but I, I think that's great. I think uh, there's this. There's this ethos and this messaging that's coming out of this young Canucks core that's like, hey, we want to get better and we want to win. And I, I do think that Horvat, Besser, Hughes, and Petey, they all have this drive. And especially after seeing what they can do and getting a taste of that, I, I think that, that it makes a lot of sense. And, and again, it's a short off season. I think October 7th is the draft. October 9th is free agency. We don't have a start date for next season, but I've heard it could be late November, early December. And that doesn't give you a lot of time to go back to Sweden and eat meatballs for a couple months. So I, uh, I, th- I, think it's, uh, I think it's good. I think it's the most sensible thing. Stay with the team, get the best conditioning and, uh, that you can and work with the best trainers and equipment that you can. Um, and there's going to be a lot more space to do it as well. Yeah, and you don't have to take two weeks off of training to quarantine, which is nice, right? Because theoretically, you'd be taking two weeks off. And I don't know what the quarantine rules are in Sweden, but coming back to Canada, he's going to have to quarantine. So that's two weeks less he gets to train and be prepared for next year. Yeah, the start of next season is weird. I mean, I've heard it could be, like you said, end of November, early December. And I've also heard people say it could be February which, again, it's just all over the place. I don't know what the plan is. I, I've heard that they want to hold off. That way they can have fans in the arena. Uh, we're seeing that in the NFL where they're putting fans in the stands. Uh, last night it was funny uh, before the Cleveland-Cincinnati um, game. They were talking about how they got zip ties on the chairs and there's only going to be 6,000 fans in the stadium. And then on social media someone had recorded a big brawl between the fans and the stadium. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, that was kind of funny watching uh, that last night. I've now watched two games with uh, fans in there, and even just the small amount of fans, it, it, I do like that. It, it makes a difference. Um, for me, it's still the the border is a big thing. How do you get around that? I, I don't think the NHL is going to want to do bubbles, but also the NHL schedule requires a lot of travel uh, as it is in a normal time. And is that something that they're also going to want to do? Are you going to be going to LA one night and then Anaheim the next, and then two days later playing in San Jose and then two days later playing in Las Vegas and then two days later going to Colorado? Like That's a lot of moving around. And if you're talking contract tracing and everything else, it, it does make things a lot trickier, especially with the situation in the states right now so for me that's the biggest hurdle is how are you going to do this exactly are you going to do mini bubbles uh kind of like what mls has done where mls just said all right the canadian teams you're all going to play each other first get that out of the way and now you go on these really long road trips through the states maybe there's situations like that 
I don't know. It's going to be, that for me is the biggest logistical headache going into next year. Yeah, well, you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, right? I mean, I I don't know if it was the government from a federal perspective, I believe it was, or the city of Toronto, but the Blue Jays aren't allowed to play games in Toronto. Not anything to do necessarily with the Blue Jays, just Toronto and the Canadian government didn't want random American teams coming in and out across the border. So what's going to happen? You know, they didn't let that happen for the Blue Jays, which is one team. You're going to have six, no, sorry, pardon me, seven Canadian teams that will have essentially seven American teams coming in in one night, you know, in theory, right? Uh, So it is going to be interesting. I don't know how the NHL is going to navigate that. I'm guessing they're just going day by day and trying to get the playoffs over with and then figure out what where to go from here, as most leagues are. Uh, But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting a road ahead for the league. And on that note as well, with the NHL focusing on this this year, I got to say they've done a bang up job with the restart. I had my doubts, um, but everything they've done, I think they've done it really well. The in-rink presentation with uh, what they've done with the video screens and blocking out the seats, uh, piping in the fan noise. Sportsnet, I thought, with the panels have done a fantastic job with getting a, a kind of a new format and bringing in new people. I think everyone on the panel has been good. Uh, I even love the little side panel with uh, with Brian Burke there and how he's kind of kept on his own leash over there. But I like that. It's a little bit of that old school approach. And the thing with Burke as well is that he's not a Don Cherry. He's he's not afraid to change and morph with the times, but he's still got, you know, that still kind of old school ruggedness about him. I, I like Burke uh, out there. But I think just overall, the NHL has gotten through this. They've gotten from 24 teams in two hubs to two teams in one hub. They're just looking at the home stretch now. Like we got to bang out the Stanley Cup and get this thing done, and then we are gonna have a giant bottle of champagne. And again, you know, I'm I'm always the first person whenever I see Gary Bettman in person to boo him. But what this will be a, a huge feather in Bettman's cap to pull this off and get a new CBA done during all this. Uh, I mean, Bettman has been one of the most influential people in hockey over the last three or four decades. Yeah, for better or worse, I would say. Uh, But I agree. You know, the NHL, they've done their best. And I actually don't like the, like, fake fans in the stands like you see in the basketball. Like, I I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it. The cardboard cutouts are kind of cute, I guess. But it's weird because you got, like, one fan who the camera's, like, right up against their face. Then you got another fan the camera's way back. So you got a big head and then you got, like, a whole body. And I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, I do think the NHL they've done a really good job. I'm not going to say they're not, but again, like they got back-to-back games in the Stanley cup final. Like what is the deal with that? Like what's one more day. Um, Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, like that is one thing I haven't liked is that they've really crammed the games together. Uh, But you know, they've got a, they've got a pretty long road ahead of them to figure out what to do for next year. And you know, I don't think they're going to be able to do bubbles again. I mean, maybe, but I doubt it. Uh, but yeah, to get a CBA done to, to get to award the Stanley cup this year, which I think was in doubt for most of us back in March and April, uh, the NHL did it and good for them. And I know Bettman didn't want another Stanley cup not awarded during his tenure as the commissioner of the NHL. And, uh, he pulled it off. Yeah, I fully agree. I was one of those people who said, just cancel the season and let's get ready for, the start again in October, but that was also when I had the blinders on and thought this was only going to be a two to three month thing at the time. Um, but you're right, a lot of lot of things to plan for next season. And on the Canucks front, there is a lot up in the air. I mean, 
we we know that Pedersen will be back and Besser and Hughes and and Miller and Do we Horvath know Besser will be back? Well, that's a <laughs> that's a good question. That's kind of why I chucked his name right in there. That's as good a place to start as any. Um, my personal opinion, I don't think the Canucks are trading Brock Besser. What do you think? I don't think so either. Uh, I don't think I know the rumors that just won't die, and they've been around for months. Actually, I believe they started even before the plane was Besser for Dumba. The Wild just traded Eric Stahl in a surprise move. I thought it for Marcus was it Marcus Johansson going the other way? Yeah, out of out of Buffalo, which was uh, more salary, I believe, but six years younger. Yeah, again, it's a bit of a shocking move to me. There was also a report today that Minnesota is not going to re-sign Miko Koivu, who I believe has paid, played 40 years in Minnesota. Like, the guy has just been, you know, breathed uh, wild hockey since his career started. Uh, he's, he's a hell of a player. Uh, you know, you can make an argument for him to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so it makes sense, Besser being from Minnesota, Dumba, right shot defenseman in that perfect you know age group that the Canucks would need a right shot defenseman. Uh, I don't see it happening, especially after the stall trade. Minnesota now needs a center. They don't need a winger. They need a center. Um, and I don't think the Canucks would be offering up Besser in a Dumba trade anyways. Like I think they would try to maybe offer a guy up like Adam Gaudet. Maybe Oli Yolevi, because you know the left side is stacked at the moment. Heading into next year, you got Rafferty, you've got Rathbone, Yolevi. Obviously, Edler's still here. Hughes is here. The, neither one of those guys are getting bumped, uh, so it makes sense. You know, you got three guys that could potentially take that third spot on the left side. Only one of them's going to play night in, night out. So it makes sense that one of those guys could theoretically move. Uh, and then you've also got, uh, you know, Minnesota. They're not. I would assume they're trying to trade Dumba to shed salary, but Besser makes just I think 200k less than Dumba, so it's a wash salary wise. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I don't think Besser moves though. I really don't. Few things. I I don't think Koivu's Hall of Fame. I uh, I I know what you're saying. His longevity is certainly a factor, but I don't think he's he's quite Hall of Fame worthy myself. Um, Brogan Rafferty is a, is a right side guy. I'm pretty sure he plays on the right side. Um, but you are right that the left side is very stacked. I'm not keen on trading Yolevi. The situation that Minnesota has put themselves in, though, was once they signed Jonas Brodeen and they gave him the no movement, they've now got Spurgeon, Suter, and Brodeen on no movement clauses coming into the Seattle draft. Matt Dumba is not, and he's got two years after next season at a $6 million cap hit. So... I do think there's a bit of writing on the wall that Minnesota is going to move Matt Dumba this offseason, but what they need, they need a lot of everything, really. I mean, we saw that in the, the play-in series against Vancouver. They 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 need help. They brought in Marcus Johansson, who can he's kind of like JT Miller. He can play a Swiss Army knife everywhere. Matt Dumba would be a great fit. There's a few other defensemen I singled out via trades that the Canucks could acquire on the right-hand side. So I'd be kind of curious to hear your thoughts on a few of these guys. Um, Colton Pareko out of St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I'd love Pareko to join the Canucks, but if they're about to lose Petrangelo, I can't see them trading Pareko as well. Uh, but yeah, obviously Pareko would be great uh, in Vancouver. Vince Dunn is the other guy St. Louis has that I think could be a, uh, a good fit here that I don't think would cost as much to acquire as Pareko. But I can't imagine them, if they're about to lose Petrangelo to free agency, I can't imagine them wanting to trade Pareko either. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Dunn's on the left side as well, but he is only 23, so that would be another interesting one. Uh, Dante Fabro out of Nashville. Yeah, I mean, Fabro is a guy that I think a lot of Canucks fans have had their eye on for a while. I believe he's a local kid, uh, or at least a BC boy, I believe. I could be wrong about that. Uh, I don't know if the Predators are willing to trade him or what it would be, what the Canucks would have to give up to get him. I mean, a guy that I really think could be traded this offseason, the more I'm thinking about it from a Canucks perspective, is Adam Gaudet. I think Adam Gaudet is a guy that, and again, I'm not saying I want to trade Gaudet, but he is a young piece that could probably get you back a solid uh, player in return. Obviously, you might have to add something extra to that, but Gaudet's a guy that I could see the Canucks potentially moving on from, and maybe a Gaudet plus could get you a guy like Dante Fabro. I will say that one thing with the Canucks, and this sounds shocking to say for a team that has about as good a one-two punch now at center and is any team in the league and is also carrying Sutter and Beagle, is after that, the Canucks don't have a lot in the pipeline at center right now. And I expect them with this draft to draft a couple. Uh, you got Mark Michaelis, who they picked up as a, a college signing, German kid, but he's already 25, kind of in the same boat as a Brogan Rafferty over there. And you got Tyler G, who is a UFA this year. But after Michaelis, there isn't really any other centers in the pipeline. So I'm not against using Gaudet as a trade chip. I, I thought he was underwhelming uh, for a lot of the postseason and could be a guy that you could flip while maybe his value is, is a bit higher. Um, I would be more in favor of that than anything that involves Besser. I just Besser for me is too much of a core part of this team. He's on a good cap hit. You've got his rights retained for a long time. He loves the team. He's, it, it would just be too disruptive, I think, to pull Besser out of this equation. Um, that's my only concern with Gaudet, though. I, I'm wondering more what it, maybe a guy like Vertanen can get you, because for me, Vertanen is, is not going to be coming back for the Canucks next year. I think the, the right side is too crowded and there's a lot of interesting pieces on the way, including Cole Lind and Will Lockwood, who could also play on the right side. We're not even getting into guys like Pod Colson as well. Yeah. I mean, you know how I feel about Jake. I mean, I think his time in Vancouver is done and I do think the Canucks are going to look at trying to trade him. I mean, do you throw him into a Louis Erickson deal as a sweetener? I would be fine with that. Like to me, that's I'd rather give Jake away in a Louis Erickson dump than a draft pick or a guy like Gaudet, who there was rumors last year that Gaudet and Rafferty were being asked uh, of the Canucks in a, a potential Louis Erickson deal. Um, I wouldn't be comfortable giving both those guys up just to get rid of Erickson's contract, but I would happily and gladly give up for Tannen to get rid of Louis Erickson's deal. Obviously, you'd like to actually get something back of a little bit more value and another potentially meddling young player in return. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm with you. Like, I don't think the Canucks have a lot of depth at center at the moment. And some of the guys they do have as prospects are years away. You know, they're probably three, four years away. Uh, Ethan Keppen, I believe, is one of the guys. And who is the guy? I think he played for the Calgary Hitmen last year. Carson Focht. Focht. Yeah, he's another guy who I think actually surprised a lot of people. Uh, he was pretty solid last year. Has a chance yeah. of making the World Junior team this year. They're, they're definitely more long-term, those guys. Um, it's I, I'm not opposed to an idea of Godet, but yeah, Vertanen for me, I mean, McEwen is a, a guy who I've got ahead of him on the depth chart as well right now. Um, I think the Canucks are going to do it. A, take a real good look at bringing back Josh Levo as well, and I think that you could get Levo for a, a, maybe a bit of a deal or a discount because 
of his injury situation. And if the Canucks could get Levo back, I think that would be – I'd be all over that as well. Like, for me, I'd, I'd have Levo and McEwen ahead of Vertanen on the depth chart and, again, with, with more pieces on the way. So with Vertanen being uh, RFA as well, I, I would like to see now would be a good time to move on from him. Yeah, the other thing that the Canucks could look at next year, which I'm not – I don't know how I'd feel about that, is Miller can play the center. So you could have centers of Petey, Miller, and Horvat, um, but I don't know if we have enough winger depth to 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 do that. But that is an option as well, and that would give you three, in theory, solid lines that could put the puck in the back of the net. Hey, I love that idea, but I, I agree with you. I don't think it's next season. I think it could be the season after that, um, I, and that's kind of when I'm I've got Hoglander and Pod Coles and slated to jump into there as well you have a lot of vets contracts come off the uh the books there too um i i could see that happening i i just think right now though miller is a is a top six winger with with the current pieces we have but i, I don't think it's a, a bad look i just don't think it's quite right just yet especially with right now carrying sutter and beagle do you think the canucks do anything with brandon sutter I mean, there's been lots of rumors that teams have shown interest in Sutter. I mean, Edmonton's looking for a third-line center. Sutter fits the bill and the mold pretty well, I think. I do think, you know, the Canucks are probably going to have to retain some salary on Sutter, and you're probably not going to get a ton in return. But, you know, being able to flip Sutter for a late-round draft pick or, you know, a young B prospect that maybe has some upside but, it, you know, is a little bit older, I think is, is a possibility. Uh, I know Edmonton has a bunch of defensemen, and there's a lot of rumors that they're looking to trade a defenseman, a guy I really like. I don't know what side he plays on. I should probably do a little bit more research before just, you know, verbal diarying some names out there. But uh, Ethan <laughs> Bear is a guy that I've heard – Edmonton's looking at possibly moving on from not that he's been bad but they've just got so much money tied up to a guy like Darnell Nurse and Adam Larson and Ethan Bear's probably going to get a solid increase in pay this year uh he's a guy I would love the Canucks to target I don't know if you could make a trade for Ethan Bear and Sutter and maybe some other pieces going the other way I'd be interested in that. Bear is a right-hand D. He's RFA. He's 23 years old. Matt Benning is another RFA on that team uh, as well who plays uh, the right side. Um, I'm not uh, against that. Sutter as well with retaining. That's the way, in my opinion, you, you do it is you trade Sutter with retaining half of his salary or up to half of his salary. And by doing that, it's the the cap hit for the Canucks for next season is essentially the same as if you bought him out. But where it really helps the team out is that there's nothing that would be carried on for the 21-22 season. Because if the Canucks were to buy out Sutter, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit less than retaining half his salary. But the season after that, they'd still have a 1.1 million cap hit on the books. And I think everyone in Vancouver is just wants to get a lot of these contracts off the books over time. Like Sutter was very serviceable in the playoffs, but if you can get something for him right now, especially with if you don't move Godette and then you have Godette and Beagle, he's your 3-4, I mean, you do it. You, if you Especially if there's some way maybe you could package him with one of your RFAs, specifically Jake Vertanen, uh, who Edmonton I could see being interested in as well uh, up front. I mean, that could be an interesting fit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I do think the Canucks would be scared to trade Jake Vertanen to a rival and a you know a division rival like Edmonton just in case you have a Cam Neely or Todd Bertuzzi kind of turnaround in his career. Um, I could see. I I think the Canucks would be more inclined to try and ship Jake out east or maybe 
you know, down south somewhere. Uh, but you know what? You're gonna you're gonna make the deal that's best for your team, at least in my opinion. And I think, you know, if if the best deal that is being offered to the Canucks at this time is uh, from the Edmonton Oilers, you take it. And one other thing with the Oilers, Adam Larson. Right hand D, 27 years old. He becomes a UFA after next year. So it wouldn't be outrageous to think that the Oilers, if they are not going to re-up him, could also be moving on from him. So he's another guy I wrote down my list of defenseman targets. Uh, Brett Pesci in Carolina is a guy that we've talked about. Connor Murphy in Chicago. And Slater Cuckoo in Chicago as well. Uh, and Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo. Buffalo is another really interesting team that the Canucks could become dance partners with is they do have a few guys on the right side. And I, I wrote down Ristolainen's name just because his he's kind of a guy who keeps coming up in in talks. Now, what I don't like about Ristolainen is that he's a 5.4 cap hit for the next two seasons, and then he's UFA. But they also have Colin Miller on the right-hand side. Uh, they have Henry Yokiharu, and they have Brandon Montador. So I think there could be something to be had with the Buffalo Sabres there. And they have a lot of cap space. Uh, the other guy I've always really liked is in Anaheim, Josh Manson as well. Uh, he's the guy that Admi- or Anaheim unfortunately decided to keep over Shea Theodore. Um, but I do like Josh Manson. I think he would be a target I would want to be looking at if I was on the Canucks uh, management team as well. Ristolainen's interesting. You know, obviously he scored the game-winning gold medal goal for at the World Juniors for Finland. He's just a guy that, for whatever reason, he does get put up some points, but he's been a nightmare defensively uh, in the NHL, and he just hasn't been able to kind of put it together, almost like an Erica Branson kind, but he's got more of an offensive upside. The other guy that I know will be linked to the Canucks heading into free agency, which I really hope they don't sign just because I don't think we have the cap space, and I'd rather keep a guy. If we're going to be signing him, I'd rather keep guys like Stetcher and Tanev, is uh, Tyson Berry. Yeah, I'm with you. Last year I was quite excited about Tyson Berry, but I don't think he's the right fit at this time um another guy whose name has come up in rumors and there'd have to be a lot of little wiggling and dealing to make this happen but it would this is like my dream scenario is if the canucks could pull a, off a way to get aaron ekblad out of florida but i just don't know with his seven and a half million dollar cap hit if that's feasible but there have been rumblings of ekblad out there as well yeah look ekblad would be great uh, he's got a bit of a concussion history so that does worry me but he would be a great fit i think in vancouver the issue i have is i think you'd have to give up too much and i think the canucks would price themselves out i would guess i mean you don't have old dave talon in florida anymore right so i think it'd be a lot harder to you know pull the wool over their eyes i think the canucks would probably have to be giving up a guy like pod colson or Maybe you can get away with giving up a guy like Hoglander, and I don't know if I'd be willing or wanting to do that uh, with a guy like Ekblad, especially when he's making that much money. Uh, I'd rather go after a guy that could be a little bit cheaper and give you probably close to what Ekblad does at half the price or maybe even a quarter of the price. Yeah, for sure. If there was uh, any deal with Florida and uh, we weren't able to dump uh, Louis Erickson in there somehow, it would make it pretty tough. I'm with you. I don't want to trade Hoglander or Pod Coles, and I, I believe those guys are the future of the wings in Vancouver right now. Um, but and, and you're right, Ekblad it does scare me a bit, but who knows? It's just uh, that's a guy who, if he's healthy, I, I, I think he would look great on this team but seven and a half million is quite a lot um out of the canucks ufas uh, amazingly the only ones we really talked about so far a bit was josh levo um but the big three that everyone's talking about uh of course Tofoli, markey and tanev what are your thoughts on any of those guys 
next year and where they're going to land. There are rumblings that the goalie market and the interest from other teams across the league for Markstrom is ramping up. Um, I do think if the Canucks can't get a deal done with Markstrom prior to free agency opening, uh, there's a very good chance that he is in a different uniform next year, uh, just because I do think there are teams like Edmonton, potentially a team like Calgary, um, Colorado comes to mind as well, of teams that will have cap space and will back the Brinks truck truck up to get him to Foley's guy I I'm kind of on the fence with I I'd love to see Toffoli back uh, don't get me wrong I just don't know how much the Canucks really need him and if they need to sign a guy like that to a long-term deal now I have heard you know there was a rumbling someone reported that you know Toffoli was looking for maybe a 4.8 or a 4.4 annual salary over three or four years which I, I would be okay with but, you know, the Canucks did the majority of the their winning in these playoffs and the play-in series against Minnesota without Toffoli. And sure, Toffoli had a huge game when he made his comeback against, was it uh, Vegas? I believe it was Vegas because he didn't play mm-hmm. a game against the Blues. It was game, and, game two against Vegas. That's right. That's right. Um, and again, don't get me wrong. Like, I do think that, you know, he is a valuable asset to this team. I just feel that, I don't know, like, I think you're going to have to rely on your young players moving forward because of the flat cap. And a guy like Toffoli is taking up someone else's spot. There's a very, very good chance that Pod Colson joins this team by March, April of next year. And that would be just in time for a playoff run. Who knows where Pod Colson would play? He'd probably be penciled in the bottom six. Obviously, injuries would, you know, come into factor of that. Uh, you got Hoglender, who's probably a year away after that. You got a guy like Cole Lind, who will be knocking on the door in all likeliness heading into next year. I just don't know if the Canucks need to commit that much money to, to Foley. Uh, and then Tanev, I love Tanev. Uh, he is on the decline, and I just don't know if the Canucks, you know, as great as he is in the room, and as much as guys like Quinn Hughes and a lot of the younger players really, really love and respect Tanev. I just don't know if they can commit to that. I, Tanev's not going to get anywhere near the money of a Brent Seabrook, but you're just worried that you know Tanev's going to have one of these contracts in two, three years that will be an albatross to this team. Yeah, good, good stuff. I mean, I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, my thing with Markey right now is I know the team is exploring different ways to give him a no movement. The team has said, look, we can't give you a no movement, no trade because of Seattle, which makes a ton of sense. And then. Uh, where I see it getting difficult with with Markey, and I also wouldn't be surprised as much as Markstrom wants to stay in Vancouver if he isn't there. And I think it boils down to the Canucks saying, hey, look, we can give you a two-year deal at $10 million, and we can't give you a no trade or no movement. And he's like, well, that's a two-year $10 million contract. All it takes is one team to come over the top with that and say, hey, we can give you a three-year $18 million and a no move. You're talking an $8 million difference there. And a guarantee that that's where you're going to plunk for three years. And there are a lot of the teams out there that are looking for goalies. You just mentioned three really good candidates in the West in Edmonton, Calgary, and Colorado. And that's, for me, where it gets tricky is if it gets to October 9th and Markey hasn't signed, it's just going to take that one team to come over the top, give him that extra year and that extra bit of money, and and he's gone. And you know what? Like, if that happens, it happens. It would suck to lose Markey. I think uh, having a tandem next year is important, but there would be other goalies out there. The Canucks have to really be careful, like what you were saying with Toffoli, about backing up the truck for for a guy that is aging. The thing with Toffoli, though, I've gone back and forth 
on Toffoli quite a bit because, yeah, he wasn't as effective in the playoffs, but let's face it, he was injured in the playoffs. When he was healthy, he was a really good fit in there, and you do need depth. And I think if you can get Toffoli for under five for like a four-year deal, I I think you go for it. I've kind of flip-flopped about this, but my rationale is that where the Canucks got killed was was depth they just their their third line didn't produce and you know you can always give a fourth line some slack especially with the way tyler mott played who by the love of god he's going to be back next year i mean there i don't i don't think there's any way we can debate that he's rfa tyler mott's coming back because he's like my spirit animal um (laughs) but I, I think Toffoli, if you can get him for under five, uh, he really likes playing here. Um, his wife is very vocal uh, online as well about uh, liking it here. Um, I think he could be a, a good fit with a with a full season. Um, remember as well, Tanner Pearson only has one year left, and that's another top six winger. So you, you do have to keep a few guys in the mix. Pod Colson, to me, it would feel like a prototypical third liner in a, on a deep team who could roll up into the second. I just think he's kind of got that sort of play about him. So for me, Toffoli, I think Toffoli is now the most likely to come back. Tanev, again, like unless Tanev is taking like a one-year deal uh, or something like that, it's really hard for me to get on board with the one healthy season that Tanev had. I love Tanev. He's a great fit for Hughes. The right side needs help, though, as well. Um, I I think, though, that Tanev may hit free agency, and again, one team will just come over the top for a a veteran right-hand D, and the Canucks need to be careful with anything north of $4 in a couple of years for for Tanev. It's kind of a similar thing to to Markstrom, in in my opinion, in terms of term. that, that creates an interesting situation for Troy Stetcher. Uh, do you think the Canucks qualify Troy Stetcher? I think they do. I mean, unless they have something cooking uh, via trade, I can't see them letting Tanev and Stetcher both go, considering how weak the right side already is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they have to qualify Stetcher. It's probably going to be at a, an amount, a dollar amount they're not really comfortable to qualify him at. Uh, it was a couple of years ago... Um, who was it? It was uh, the kid who was, uh, I always forget his name. He was the kid that was originally drafted by the Penguins. We traded for him. Uh, Pouliot, Derek Pouliot. Pouliot was a guy, if, if everyone remembers, uh, the Canucks didn't offer a qualifying contract to because they thought it would be too expensive. And then they re-signed Pouliot for, uh, I believe it was a one-year deal. Uh, so that is an option for Stetcher as well, that you know, if the Canucks feel that the qualifying offer is going to be too rich for their blood, they choose not to sign him, and then they try to negotiate outside of the qualifying offer for maybe more term, because the qualifying offer is usually only one year, isn't it? Yeah, so to qualify Stetcher, it's a one-year $2.325 million deal. That's yeah, the qualifier, so- which I would assume that the Canucks would do it just to retain his rights, but that Stetcher would turn it down. Yeah, uh, the Canucks could also, like I said, do what they did with Derek Pouliot a couple of years ago if they have kind of like a gentleman's agreement in place that, hey, look, we're not going to qualify you, but we'll sign you to a long-term deal, maybe a four-year contract where you're getting more money in the long run, um, but the average annual salary will obviously be less. So that is an option. I do, like I said, I would be absolutely shocked if the Canucks let both Tanev and Stetcher go. If they do, then they must have 
solid piece coming via trade or free agency or something. I haven't even really looked at who's available in free agency. I can't imagine uh, outside of a guy like Alex Petrangelo, which the Canucks are no way going to be able to afford. Uh, I can't think of too many guys that are, you know, really targets for the Canucks on the right side. A couple of guys on the right side. Uh, I know we talked about it last week, but Dylan DeMello is right near the top of that list for me as a UFA. Um, is he a, a UFA? Feeling- He's a UFA, 27 years old, um, and I, I do think Winnipeg is going to do whatever they can to retain him. Um, but there's a few other interesting names out there. Zach Bogosian, Kevin Shattenkirk, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, uh, Mark, Pis- Mark Pissick, uh, Radko Gudis, Justin Braun. After that, I think the Canucks are kind of getting priced out a little bit. Uh, after that, um, I even think Justin Braun might be a bit steep. I think the Canucks will be looking more in the Dylan DeMello, Zach Bogosian range, but there's not a lot on the right side to be honest uh this year that would work in the canucks price range um you think stetcher comes back i do yes yeah i do i'm i'm with you i think also on the blue line oscar fantenberg is a ufa i don't think there's any way he's coming back um it's just not that he didn't play well i thought he played quite well uh, i think he's he made eight hundred fifty thousand last year he's going to get a substantial raise on that and the canucks are crowded on the left side um, as well, Jordy Ben is the other one. Um, what, what what do you think with Ben? Does does he factor into the team next year? Or do the Canucks look at a trade or a buyout on him? I think the Canucks are going to be looking to trade Jordy Ben personally. Uh, I think for whatever reason, Green never really played him. Uh, didn't really rely on him in the playoffs. I know Ben came back and he played a little bit. And I didn't think Ben played terrible. Um, but for whatever reason, yeah, he just hasn't really been one of Green's guys or, you know, a guy that Green's looked to rely on. Uh, where a guy like um, Fantenberg, Green's relied on pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the Canucks are going to look to trade Jordy Ben. Another guy I think the Canucks might look to trade uh, this offseason to get out of his contract is uh, Antoine Roussel. Uh, he's another guy that I could see the Canucks looking to try to move on from. Uh, not that Roussel's been bad or anything like that, but he's just a guy that, Again, Benning signed for a year longer than he should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would be okay with that. Uh, I think you might be able to get something for him. Any of these guys that we keep talking about, they're, they're you know, that, that core of guys that, you know, Roussel and Sutter and Beagle and all these guys fall into contracts expiring in the next year or two, which it, with these guys, if you can get anything for them right now, you, you got to do it. You, you're in a tight cap situation. If you can flip them for anything, if you can get a third rounder for Roussel right now, I'd say you'd do it uh, just to, again, free up that space. Um, because you, you still, you also have that whole Michael Ferlin and Sven Berchi. I think Berchi's going to officially get bought out now, now that he's uh, done with a year in the minors. And I think it's a much more palatable cap hit for the Canucks. So I think Berchi, what is it? It's like, 3.366 it's like a weird deal the, the number that he's got but if the Canucks buy him out it's only uh it saves them like 1.7 million dollars and then it's only an $800,000 cap hit the year after that so I think Berchi will officially get bought out because I obviously there's no market for him um Roussel via trade um I, I again I think if the Canucks can get anything for Roussel or Sutter via trade I'm more keen to keep Beagle um just because I do think you need a fourth line center right now so if you're trading those guys I'd be okay with having Beagle stick around but um yeah the left side as well just going back to there uh if Jordy Ben is gone it really does free up space for Rathbone and Yulevi to duke it out for the six and maybe keep another guy around as a seven uh as well but that left side all of a sudden 
looks really good, uh, in my opinion. Edler, Hughes, Yolevi, and Rathbone. If Yolevi and Rathbone can do anything that we think they can do with this team. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, both those guys get a legitimate shot at uh, playing on the team uh, next year. I think the Canucks could really use a guy with the breakout passes like Ulevi has. Uh, he's just a guy that, I mean, the Canucks a lot of times, how many how many times in the Vegas series did we see, and the St. Louis series for that matter, did we see the Canucks being hemmed in their own zone and a defenseman would finally get the puck on their stick and then they would just give it right back to the, opposer, to the opponent. So... Yeah, I think a guy like Levy could be very valuable to the Canucks transition game next year. Uh, but right now, it, it's a crowded position, and the Canucks need to figure out what to do. Yeah, I agree. Well, we got a, a couple of weeks here before the draft and free agency. I do expect things to start ramping up. We're seeing some trades and moves out there, um, which are going to definitely dictate what the market is. I know Jared McCann got re-signed today as well, but I think... There's definitely a crowded roster and some really big decisions. And I think once we get one domino to fall, I think we're going to see the rest fall right after that. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know, I think teams are already looking at making trades. And, uh, you know, Tampa Bay isn't going to be in a bit of a cap crunch. I know Anthony Sorelli's name has been uh, popping around all over the place. Uh, it's going to be a very, very eventful, interesting and entertaining offseason, I got to say. For sure. And I think a lot of it is going to happen before the free agent day uh, in Vancouver land. So, hey, what do we got here? Today's the 18th. So, geez, that's uh, that's three weeks away, man. So uh, we'll definitely have more to talk about on the next episode. Uh, for now, why don't we take it into the free pour? All right, it's time for the free pour open floor segment of the episode. And I'm just going to jump into mine, and that is that football season is back, and as such, fantasy football is back. Um, I'm very excited for that. Uh, We are in our eighth year of our league, uh, which is great. We have a a big WWE-type championship belt. Uh, I'm the current holder of the belt, uh, as I won last year. Uh, I lost my week one. I lost, unfortunately, to uh, one of the guys in our league named Dan, who Pete and I used to work with. Uh, and then, or no, I work. I lost, lost you, Pete. You lost me. to me, man. You're playing yeah. Dan this week, but you you lost That's to right. me in a, in a close affair. But yeah, on. I think it was less than two points. I actually ended up losing to you by. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a good game. I got my weeks all turned around. Uh, but then last night, you know, I have Cam Newton and Joe Burrow on my team, and everyone was talking about, oh, Cam Newton's a must start, must start. And you know what? Cam Newton might be a must start this week, but I went with my gut and I started Joe Burrow last night, and I got uh, 24 solid points out of him. I stacked him with Tyler Boyd. Anyways, you guys probably don't care that much about my fantasy team, <laughs> but I just wanted to share that I'm happy football's back and I'm happy fantasy football's back. I'm with you, man. And uh, you know what? That's what the free pour is. You can just rant about whatever you want. Um, I'm going to talk a little about uh, a little bit about music because uh, I've had a, a fun week of music diving into some stuff that I either haven't listened to or bands listened to for a while, I should say, or bands that I've been wanting to explore more. So I'm going to talk about an album that I picked up again that I've been listening to forever, but it just kind of with switching computers and whatnot, it kind of got lost a bit in the shuffle, but it is being on mad play this week, and that's damaged by Black Flag. I've been on a back big punk rock kick this week again. That album just 
gets better every time I listen to it. It was one of those ones that, like, with a lot of my old punk albums, it just kind of fell into this little part of my hard drives and whatnot, and I just pulled it out again this week, and I'm like, damn, I got to get this on vinyl. It has so much energy. If you're a punk fan and you don't know that album, go out and take a listen. And the other end, and this is kind of at the other end of the spectrum, a band that... I've, I've always heard bits of, but I've only really had one of their albums, and I was like, I, I, I kind of stopped listening to them and just kind of got lost in the shuffle after that. It was Arcade Fire. I had the Neon Bible album, liked it quite a bit, and this week I, I was doing some YouTube watching. I watch a lot of live stuff on uh, on YouTube, and it usually starts with like a band like Nine Inch Nails, as this one did, and then that led me into LCD Sound System, which led me into Arcade Fire, and I was just like, damn, why haven't I listened to more Arcade Fire? But... Suburbs was an album that I've been listening to a lot this week as well. So a couple of different album recommendations. Damaged by Black Flag in the Suburbs by Arcade Fire. Really good stuff. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 51, the Troy Stetcher episode. Funnily enough, uh, it's been a, I mean, there's lots more to talk about. We're going to do another episode for sure before we get into the draft and free agency. And hopefully we have a little bit more to talk about. So I don't know. It was, it was a fun episode, though, Doug, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I thought it was definitely free flowing. Uh, it was pretty easy. And uh, even though there isn't a lot of concrete news, there's still a lot to talk about. It really is. It's, it's it's a very interesting off season for the team, and I really hope to see some of these dominoes fall. And the speculation is rife. I mean, the right side D and the, the plethora of free agents and restricted free agents. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. There's even a bunch of guys on the farm team we didn't even get into. But uh, anyways, lots to talk about, and we will continue to do so before we get into all the off season moves. Um, on Twitter, you can follow us. Uh, at Canuck Speak, you can follow me at Pete underscore Gas. Uh, give me a follow at Doug Venn, and as you can hear, the funky jam in the background will be added to our Canucks outro speakeasy playlist on Spotify. Give that a follow as well. 50th anniversary of Jimi Hendrix's death today, so there you go. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.